Hello there, it's Rowan. As you may have heard since a while, I'm now adding these personal notes into the intro. Uh, we had a wonderful tip by Remco Tomason. Remco, if you're listening, heads up for you. Thank you so much. Uh, and he said, why don't you really share with your listeners what you liked so much about the episode. And I think that's great. So I hope you like it. If you have other tips or if you want to give us a review because you think more people should listen to the Hatch podcast, to the Unmachine Yourself podcast, we're excited with all of that. It really feels magic to know that you on the other side are listening to this. And we really have the feeling that by combining all these inspiring talks and by listening to all these people, we together can get new ideas about what it can mean to lead a company, what future leadership really is. So with Martin, I was extremely excited because I think, you know, we talk about a topic that is immediately interesting and it immediately creates kind of conflict in the minds of a lot of people. We talk about a weird combination, that is. We talk about sustainability and a sustainable future, but we also talk about flying. Because Martin is the managing director of Sky Energy, and that is the global market leader for sustainable aviation fuel. Now, I really had to dive into this a little bit because something in my mind just kind of didn't click, as if I immediately thought, huh, flying, but that's not sustainable, right? And then, I dove into it and then I saw it's actually a really relevant topic because the realistic part of this story is that sure, it would be great if we would all stop flying, but we're not, right? Not now, not within now and 10 years. So how then can we make it as sustainable as possible? And what I didn't know and what I really learned is that there is a sustainable type of fuel and that there's all sorts of projects and investigations and research around that. And what I loved is that the story is both a bit technical because I really needed to learn about that and I also wanted you to kind of go through the same phase because I could understand or um, I was anticipating that a lot of the listeners would also have the same idea, right? Yeah, right. Um, what is this? Sustainable fuel? Yes, sustainable fuel. So I tried to be critical in a kind way. Um, and he was very clear and helpful in explaining what they already do right and much better than other companies, much better than any other company I learned about in my research but also what still needs to be done or changed. Mm, so he was really nice and friendly and helpful in explaining the techie version. So you hear a bit about that, but we also have a pretty personal conversation. So Martin, for example, explains how his journey went from being a pioneer in the industry where his product was still completely unknown and even perceived as unsafe to being a big, big player in the field. And he also explains, you know, things about how it is to run a company that then expands and grows so much. And basically he says, saying no is a must if you want to grow, not only as a company, but also as a leader. And I thought that was really an eye-opening part in the conversation. So I hope you will enjoy that as well. Um, he also explains how you can create a working culture in which little time is spent on back reporting. And that is a super 
good part, I find. Um, if you are nearby of a notebook, please take it, pick it up and get a pen and make some notes there because I think for your own company, this is a dream kind of strategy to do it. And we end with why he's actually willing to step down and be paid less than his next CEO. I really hope that you learn a bit from this, uh, that you open up your minds to it, but also that you find inspiration in how you can run a company that sells a product that was so unknown that in the beginning people thought it was scary shit and now people can still be skeptical, but it's also so successful that now you've become a world leader, right? That's pretty inspiring. I love to be in touch with you. So if you have any remarks, if you want to get in touch with us, please write us. You can find all the email addresses at www.imhatch.com or you can leave us a review and that would be really, really helpful. Thanks so much. Maarten van Dijk is Managing Director of Sky Energy and has been with the company since the start in 2009. He's the company's representative on its Independent Sustainability Board and holds various seats in industry and government advisory platforms. He studied chemistry at Utrecht University, where he graduated with majors in renewable energy technologies and in business economics. Sky Energy is the pioneer, for those of you who don't know, it's a global market leader for sustainable aviation fuel. If you think, how can fuel be sustainable? Well, that's exactly what we will be talking about today. Because indeed, now having supplied over 30 airlines on all continents, it's their mission to make sustainable aviation fuel the new global standard. Martin, welcome. Thank Thanks you. for being here. Um, so... I really want to dive into this aspect of sustainability and flying and fuel and all the things that are dizzling me. But before we go to the future, I want to talk a little bit about the past. Um, so before you were the managing director of Sky Energy and you were still a kid, what did you want to be? <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think those to the future dreams change over time. So if you ask me primary school um, and actually found sort of the sort of a, a poster that I made with exactly that question. I think it was sixth grade. Um, it was a paleontologist digging wow. up dinosaurs. Wow. Yeah. In hindsight, I think that would be like the most boring thing ever. I find it very interesting <laughs> because it's something in the ground and then you ended up with something in the air. Yes. Well, that's a, that, that's a great contrast. I, I didn't think of it like that. But uh, no, I just fascinated by the things from the past. Um, in general, so yeah. uh, so and and with animals and nature, and so that just felt like something cool to to be, yeah. uh, without actually knowing what it is, right? Because you just spent three months on a yeah. deserted plane digging yeah. up bones, well, yeah. fine. And then, funnily enough, um, during high school, I think for as long as I can remember, when people said, "What are you going to do when when you grow up?" Uh, I said, "I want to build a, a plant. I want to build something. I want to." Build, I want to produce something. I didn't know anything about fuel or sustainable aviation. I wasn't the topic back then. So I thought, okay, if it produces shoes or boxes or TVs, I don't care, right? I just want to build something that makes some something useful out of nothing. Yeah. Right? And um, 
funnily enough, these things are, are, are actually happening right now. Yeah, so, so they are getting together. Yes, and, and again, dissolution, right? Because the process of building something is uh, is also not really in the sweet spot of what I do. I, I don't have the sort of the, the, the patience and the rigor and the, and the process mindset to actually go through all the steps needed to... Uh, uh, from design to with the engineers to financial close to then building something. Uh, yeah. So getting other people on board to realize that dream is, is is probably one of the most important lessons learned in the last years. Well, that's really interesting because actually the, the next question that I usually ask is what did you have to learn in order <laughs> to... But, I, but I, I do think you're saying something important because I think... As we're kids and you have an idea about a profession, you don't really know what it is. And sometimes as entrepreneurs or starting a company or co-founding a company, we tend to do the same. So you begin to do everything. And then over time, you learn what your sweet spot is. So it's not that talent, but it's exactly this, right? Mm -hmm. So apparently, even though you have a technical background, you seem to be really good at that. You're saying, I'm not the person no. who's best at that. No. So I do something else. Yes. Yeah. And especially, I think for me, knowing sort of what I like to do or what, I, what I'm good at, I, I think that that has been a great realization. But also with that, accepting and acknowledging the fact that there are other people that can do things better than I do. Yeah. Right? And, and, and those things are critically important for the things that I have to do right now in, in the company probably also um, at home in my family. But um, um, being able for me to say, everybody was looking at, at, at me at a certain point saying, okay, well, you are sort of heading this project, uh, important project for the company. And I tried, I tried really hard and I just, I simply couldn't do it. And then I started hiring people with much more experience and, and that are, uh, much more senior than I am as well. And just handing that over and just letting go and saying, okay, I trust you guys doing this. Not, not even being in a, in, a, in a structural oversight role, wanting to know everything, just being able to trust the people around you makes it that if your company can grow much faster and probably much more efficient than when you are the one that has to do and direct everything. Yeah, yeah. And I... I try. I did something really mean when I was preparing for a talk because I'm sometimes a bit skeptical, and I think many of us are, and, and often for good reasons, when we learn things about technical solutions for problems that we have. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of talk about, I don't know, um, if we have environmental pollution, then, you know, we just find this out mm -hmm. and then it's good. But then I went to the website and I actually got impressed um, because it seems that Sky Energy is actually pretty strict on itself. Like mm -hmm. you um, are structurally being advised by an independent sustainability board. There's WWF in there. There's the European Climate Foundation there. There's Solidaridad in there, uh, university in there. And your operations are certified by the Roundtable on Sustainable Biomaterials. So I, I think before listeners really understand what you're doing, perhaps you should explain a little bit what, what it course. is that you do. Yes, sure. And I, I'll, I'll take a one, two minutes to, to do very the, sort of the, the brief summary, yeah. right? Um, we do two things uh, mainly. One, um, we buy and sell sustainable aviation fuel, and we sell that to anyone that has 
sort of a stake in the energy transition in aviation, call it that. So it's not just airlines, but it's also their customers, individual travelers, uh, corporates, airports, uh, the government, um, basically creating a demand at the end of the supply chain and, and using that demand to enable something sort of something in the supply chain. Uh, first, sustainable aviation fuel volumes, uh, scaling up those volumes, um, enabling new production capacity. And, and, and there it comes to sort of the, the second part of uh, what we do. Um, we're involved in a lot of different, you can make sustainable aviation fuel in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Start, starting with, and, and the way you make it determines the sustainability of, of, of the final product. And the yeah, because chain. I saw, for example, that, and I hadn't realized that, that one sustainable or not so bad for the environment way of doing it is to make it from crops that you can also eat. But then you guys say, we make it from crops that you cannot eat so that we are not taking that. So we have a win-win situation, right? Yeah, well, or is that uh, uh, this, this, this is sort of, I'm going to take a formal approach here because we do not use crops. No. In the period. Okay. <laughs> Which is important for all, all, all sort of the stakeholders and the things that we've tried to do in the last year. Yeah, so, explain so me. It, it's quite a difficult discussion around mm. what is sustainability? How do you measure the sustainability? How yeah. do you ensure it? How do you create transparency in, in, in that sector? Right now, we have a very strong focus on waste and residues. Mm. So uh, primary sort of production of material, being it food or uh, wood or fodder for feet or whatever for, for, for a kettle feed, uh, those are primary product streams and they have residue streams. Yeah. And if that residue stream currently goes to a lower value use, being it landfill, incineration, digestion, we think it makes sense to give that a sort of a higher value purpose. And then try to find sort of those blocks, and there are quite a lot of those, those blocks of resources, and then try to find a technology that can actually convert that specific resource into a sustainable aviation fuel or a set of final products, jet fuel being one of them. Um, and then with that, trying to avoid sort of the continuous debate on what should we use our land for, food versus fuel mm -hmm. uh, discussions, uh, feed versus fuel discussion, indirect displacement effect, indirect land use change. Those are terms that have been quite actively sort of in the public debate around bioenergy topics in the last years. Yeah. And we see sort of a, a more broad understanding in the market that, well, it doesn't make sense to put food in your tank, right? No. Um, but it does make sense to not burn some of the precious carbon resources that you actually have, because if you burn them, they they're get turned into CO2. And I mean, you can do better things with that. Yeah. Um, the focus on technology as a solution for some of these issues, um, I agree. I mean, I, I agree that you need the technology, but it cannot be sort of, well, technology will solve everything. We have to change the whole system, right? Yeah. We have to change the way we think about energy, our energy system, the way we use energy. Um, they're sort of relentless thinking about growth and mm -hmm. then sort of pushing that towards sort of a, a baseline scenario of fossil fuel growth, which, mm -hmm. which we are in today, right? And then offsetting everything that is sustainable from a cost perspective. So, well, if we grow sustainably, well, that costs more than fossil fuel growth. So who's going to pay for that? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's the wrong approach. Yeah. I think we should be thinking about, well, let's stop fossil fuel growth and let's start growing sustainably. Because you are uh, sometimes co-funding price 
gaps, right, over conventional yes. jet fuels. Yes, yes. Yeah. So in the in the end, this is still an economic market setting. Yeah. And 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 where we came from uh, and are still in today is is a voluntary market. So if you produce a fuel that's more expensive, basically, than your alternative fossil fuel, someone needs to pay for it. Yeah. So so and and that's what I meant with aggregating demand. It's it's basically premium demand and not putting the full burden on the airline. Yeah. But we've realized relatively early on in, in the development of the company that airlines don't like to pay more for their fuel yeah. as one of their biggest cost components. Yeah. So getting other stakeholders that are important for the airline but feel the responsibility of making impact in this, this development as well, uh, corporates being a good example, uh, linking that sort of sustainable aviation fuel uh, scaling or uptake to their business travel footprint has been quite an effective mechanism to aggregate premium funds and with those premium funds pay for the price difference between fossil fuel and 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 uh, yeah. um, sustainable fuel so so let's hold there for a little bit because i think the 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 sentence that you um just said on it being a voluntarily a, a volunteer market just for the listeners who don't know it kind of means that companies We find it really nice if they behave well and if they say, hey, mm -hmm. we're really a green company, but they're not always being supported. And so it costs them more. So if they want to uh, compensate for CO2, etc., then they do that. And it's not the government making it easier for them. And mm -hmm. you, or sometimes it is, but often not. So that's what you mean by there are no, there are no support structures. There's yeah. nice ideas on how you can do this. There's even agreements that it would be good to keep mm -hmm. things out of the air or to compensate for it. But it's it it's not regulated no. and it's not supported. No. And so then you say, then we have to find ways to get other stakeholders involved or we have to be the group that, you know, compensates for the, for the money lost. Because the company is not always going to do that because they just want to make a profit because they have to survive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think if you, yeah, the, the the one you're buying your fuel from is is the one that sort of pays at a price or, or, or sells at a price that, that works for them. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of nuance there, of course. But in the, in the end, yes, right now, voluntary market means someone needs to pay the difference. Um, that's how it is today. Uh, we see, because of the last decade of visibility of sustainable aviation fuel with some of the big sector leaders, uh, that governments are stepping up. Mm -hmm. And they're basically going to regulate this market. Yeah. So they will be, especially Europe, taking sort of a, a front-runner position there. But we see the US, uh, Canada, Brazil, India, Japan, Australia, all working on plans to increase the uptake of sustainable aviation fuel through government regulation. And how do you see the role of, of companies like Sky Energy? Should they be a front-runner? Should they be lobbyist? Or right. Yeah, we have a yeah call it a lobby activity, government interaction activity. We we've had that traditionally, and and we keep doing that. I think there are sort of the we've always focused on the things that are most important, as sort of a like like a front runner uh, um, player pioneering activity that are needed in that market today. So in 2010, it was nobody knew about this, and. We just went out telling everybody that it was possible. Then 2011 onward, we were actually... Were you believed instantly? Or no, did people no, no. think it was no, yeah, yeah, greenwashing yeah. or just... Yeah, or or not safe. Or yeah. Especially, it uh, depends on which part of the industry you talk to, but but there were there's, there was a lot of skepticism. And then it got approved to be used in commercial aircraft in mid-2011. So we started supplying and, and that was sort of the pioneering activity. So how to get 
that fuel from the facility into a country. I mean, there was no custom check on this specific product, right? Or into an airport. Because well, you were basically <coughs> inventing a project product or a yeah. new use of a product. Yeah, Let's well, not just us, of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, with a group of industry players like uh, Boeing and, and Pratt Whitney and Airbus and saying, well, yes, technically speaking, this can be done, right? Then the question became, okay, how can we get it in a plane? That's where we play a role. How are we going to make it sustainable? That's where another group of stakeholders, including us and, and people, uh, the NGOs and Roundtable on Sustainable Biomaterials, for instance, started to play a role on how, how do we secure the sustainability, safeguard the sustainability in this novel supply chain. And then, okay, how, how are we going to make it affordable? How are we going to get down that price? Either through scaling, better efficient supply chains and scaling production capacity, uh, making sure we have voluntary contributions to to enable that scale-up uh, and start interaction with government uh, to make sure that government understands that, one, it's feasible, yes, it can be done sustainably, and yes, you have a role to play in uh, enabling and scaling this market. And that's what's happening now. So after 10 years of sort of basically working our way through the mud, that now we see an uptake. And with that sort of uptake and increased interest, you see an influx of existing players looking at the market from a Sort of, uh, opportunity point of view or sense of compliance point of view. So you see yeah. the big oil majors, utility companies, uh, the airlines, the airports, other governments now all stepping in. Now they find in. it interesting. Yeah, so now you get this sort of yeah. e extrapolation of interest. And if we talk about, because you said in the beginning you had to you had to kind of learn to not do anything, everything yourself and hire the right piece of people for the right things so you could focus on the thing that you can do, yeah. which is getting people on board. Is there, I mean, it sounds like it has been quite a lot. So have you always been able to keep believing in the thing that you were doing? Or did you sometimes also lose hope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, not hope. I think um, if you look at the big picture and where you need to go, and if you look at sort of the amount of fuel that we supply today as an industry, right? And then the amount of fossil fuel you need to replace, then it's quite easy to say, well, this is useless. So you just take it one step at a time. And I think when you start sort of a, 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 sm a small company supported by good partners, uh, but uh, you just do whatever you can to either uh, survive to the next month or year uh, or deliver on the promises that you make to your partners uh, in whatever form, being it a fuel contract and you have to supply or a project you're involved in in R&D and you have to deliver your reports or doesn't matter. So so yeah. it, I, I'm not always working on, especially those first years, you're not working on, okay, what is our sort of next five or 10 or 15 year strategy? It's basically on, okay, we're here, we're surviving, we're doing the things that we believe are the right things to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to get sort of the right checks and balances in place, being it from an economic point of view, where you need help from an organizational point of view, but definitely from a sustainability point of view, where you get support and, and you let yourself be directed. Right? It's, it's quite easy to lose yourself in sort of all the opportunities that sort of cross your path all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think in, a, in, in the beginning... You, Are you saying you have to keep focus? Yeah, yeah, focus is, is key. So, so, and, and, and that's really difficult because uh, especially when the market grows and the interest grows. So we've been a company that, that, that was out there um, doing everything on sustainable aviation fuel everywhere. We're basically, uh, for the first years, we were in every single project because the market was tiny. Right? And just a couple of people, we got asked into every single project. And now with that interest exploding, we still get asked into every project uh, or 
almost every project. And it's quite hard to say no for us because that's our DNA, right? We just want to be involved. We want to contribute. We want to share knowledge. We want to uh, uh, be be sort of a, a part of the development. Well, and especially if it's a market that is still being created on the spot, I can imagine that you you want to explain like, oh, but there's an there's yeah. an alternative, and we actually know how it works, and we've tried this already. So yeah, don't and, reinvent and, the wheel. And we want to we want to sell. We want to sure. sell fuel. We want to yeah. we want to increase volumes. We yeah. need to increase production capacity. Yeah. So if I get a phone call from from big industrial players in France, Germany, Sweden, UK. US doesn't matter. And they say, listen, we want to build a production facility together with Sky Energy. It's impossible for me to say no. Yeah. Right now, the volume is really small. What we need is more production plants because in the end, we need the molecules to fly on. I mean, yeah, because that's that's one thing that I that I have to ask, and then we I, I really want to go back to the, <laughs> uh, to the hope question, no, to the uh, to the focus question. But but the one thing is, you could of course say, well, we should just all stop flying, and then the problem would be solved. No. Of course. Yeah. yeah that, that That's, I mean, there are different ways. I think the whole decarbonization of aviation it requires sort of a, an all of the above approach where you have sustainable aviation fuel or you need to start with, okay, how can we fly more efficient, smarter, uh, better operations? As in not city hopping so much, for example. Well, I mean, that's, and, and, and that's not our discussion, right? No. I mean, that's uh, uh, hydrogen planes, yeah. electric planes. I yeah. think that's all welcome. That's great. Yeah. I support that. I, uh, what I say, if in, in 2030, all aviation was electric, I would gladly dissolve the company because we've done it, right? And I'm yeah. going to do something else. That's yeah. perfectly fine. But I don't believe that will happen. No. Those developments in, in, in aircraft, airport infrastructure just take a lot of time. So I think reduce as much as possible. Yeah. And then whatever is left on fossil fuel, replace with sustainable aviation fuel. And you know, this kind of makes me happy. And I think a lot of people, because we have the flight shame nowadays, and we also had a corona policy. And I think people are longing to go on a flight. Of course. But at the same time, we have the feelings of guilt of not doing it well. So it's kind of nice if sometimes we can also believe in part of it being um, a technological solution. Right. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like, ideally, in the end, you would perhaps also change mentality of not flying everywhere all the time. I, I think that's key. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think uh, uh, sort of uh, travel behavior is, is, is core part of how we look at the transition of aviation. I think you're right. You shouldn't look at sustainable aviation fuel as the silver bullet to keep growing endlessly on the fossil fuel side. Yeah. And then, yeah, we'll figure it out with these novel supply chains. Because in the end, we will have constraints on bioenergy resources. Yeah. Uh, the, the newest development taking CO2 plus green hydrogen and turning that into fuel. That sounds great. We have more than enough CO2, but also that takes a lot of time. And there are resource constraints there on, on renewable electricity. So so it's not so easy to, to solve this puzzle. You yeah. should see it as, as, as part of the puzzle. Very short-term impact, real impact. So not just one, two, three percent carbon reduction, but 80 to 90 percent carbon reduction. So that, that's, that's over impressive. the full life cycle yeah. really good, uh, I would say. Um, and more and more studies coming out. This, the fuel is really clean, so less radiative forcing effects, like contrail reduction, yeah. uh, no soot, no particles, no sulfur emission. So um, it all sounds great. There's a price issue that yeah. we need to solve. And, 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 and that's what the industry is working on together with government. Yeah. Uh, so from my point of view, future is bright for sustainable aviation fuel. This, this, this market will get yeah. there. Um, we just have to make sure we keep doing it sustainably. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that I think it makes it more clear for people. It certainly did for me. Speaking of focus, mm -hmm. I lost my focus because I wanted to ask this in between, but you said something really interesting, namely, 
we also had to learn, or I had to learn, to sometimes say no to things, even though they sound so interesting, because we needed to kind of focus on what is the most important. So how do you do that? Because in the beginning you said, we only went with, let's survive another month, but this sounds more like strategic because you, if you have focus, it means you have an end goal inside, you know mm-hmm. where you're going, right? So how does that work in your company? How do you work? Um, yeah, so 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 I, I think what helps is um, uh, funding or um, making making money, basically, because you don't have to think about what what's next month and we don't have to think about what's next year. We can actually think about, okay, what's next five years or even 10 years? So yeah. working on our 2030 strategy. Um, I think there's an obligation you have as leadership of a, of a company to, to give that direction. And then sort of the combination of, there are some people that are good in sort of seeing, okay, where do we want to be in five years? Where should we be in 10 years? And how does that relate to your value proposition to the development of the market? That's not for, I mean, that's not a a full process, but you do want everybody's input. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's step one. So so, so setting that course and making sure that that is sort of a, sort of a a broadly uh, um, accepted or uh, supported course team, industry, partners, and shareholders. And how do you do that? Because that sounds pretty democratic. I'm sure you're not completely non-hierarchical. So, so how do no, you we're quite, get people's input? Yeah, so so it's actually the process that we're just going through. So it's sort of um, me and, and we have two managing directors, uh, one focused on short-term, uh, Tay, and, and myself focused on long-term. And um, we basically sort of, I, I started drafting the sort of, uh, first market analysis, then our positioning. Then, and ju- we do it ourselves. So we don't ask any inputs. Mm. We believe that right now we know our market quite well. Uh, and, and if we hire consultants, then, well, we just have to learn them how our market works. Uh, so so the, 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 the basic starting point is what do we think that's going to happen? How do we see the market developing? What are our strengths? And how do we want to fit that market? What should we be in that market? Um, then we sort of discuss that in a smaller group, then we bring that whole sort of thought process to the team and to the supervisory board, to the shareholders, and just get their inputs. And everybody has sort of inputs on little bits. So nobody takes this strategy and says, well, I looked at the whole strategy and I don't think it makes sense. They will go like, I looked at this part of the strategy that's important for me and the activities that I do, and here's my input on this piece. And then you sort of iterate, you redraft, you start asking external. So also to your main customers, Airlines, but also um, even competitors. So I just did it. we. I, I know all these guys. Of course, there's a it's a small world, and I just pick up the phone to direct competitors, and I say, "That's interesting." Listen, um, I'm I'm seeing my. How do you see us? Right? How do you see sort of where does Sky Energy add value for you for the market? And you get real honest answers, right? So, and it just helps us shape. It's it's at this moment, and I think that's also maybe a lucky thing. If you're in a well-developed market, it's quite competitive, quite protective. Right now it's more, okay, every single production unit counts. Every drop of sustainable aviation fuel sold, it matters uh, for the whole industry, not just that single party. And yes, there's competition. Yes, there's bidding on similar contracts. That's all fine. Um, But being open and transparent and just sort of asking input, I hope will help us make the right decisions. Well, it's a very different approach than having a scarcity mentality kind of thinking like I, I will not talk to the 
competitors because then they'll take over my idea. Yes. It feels more like, no, let's just that see. That happens, by the way. It so, does? Yeah. I mean, we, we're always quite open. That's how we grew up. Uh, open, transparent, sharing, sharing info, sharing sort of our thoughts, our basically also emotions, industry emotions. Mm-hmm. And we now see that people or other companies that were partners or are partners or, I mean, they're stepping into spaces that we're active in and and copying some of the activities that we do. And I mean, on the one hand, sometimes that feels a bit, uh, it makes you a bit sort of annoyed, angry, saying, Mm -hmm. okay, well, why why are you stealing my things? Uh, On the other hand, it's also a confirmation that if a big big oil major steals your idea, it basically means it's quite a good idea. Yeah. And, and and you've done something great. And and you can look at it from a sort of protective point of view, say, well, that's my idea and, and, and I want to sort of make it big. Or you think, well, if these guys pick up on our basic thinking on sustainability, on stakeholder involvement, on transparency, and they change the way they do business, then you're being sort of a driving force for yeah. much bigger change than you can do if you keep everything to yourself. Yeah. And I think that our challenge, I mean, you can look at it two ways, either start being very protective, not sharing anymore, um, attacking the one that steals your uh, uh, idea or, or program or, or product, or you think, well, we brought it up to a point that it's apparently interesting for some of the most conservative players in, in, in this space, which oil majors per definition are, although they can be progressive, they're still quite conserv- yeah. conservative. Uh, same as airlines, same as airports, same as any yeah. vested interest. Um, and then start reinventing yourself. So, well, we know how to supply sustainable aviation fuel to an airport. We've pioneered these supply chains. We've closed a partnership with Shell Aviation. They didn't know anything when they started they know everything now. Uh, We've we done a couple of things together. They can do it much more efficient than we do. What is our role in that supply chain? Yeah, right? lo- so we need yeah. to change. We can sort of try to sort of compete on that piece. Or we think, no, 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 there's a new challenge in the market. We reinvent ourselves. We're doing things now that that they cannot do yet. And that's sort of our added value to the transition of, of, of uh, uh, sustainable aviation. Yeah, it, it reminds me of something that my book manager once said when... I had what all writers have, namely, you're writing on a book and then in the month that you were about to finish the manuscript, you will see that somebody else publishes a book on your topic. And it feels horrible. It's like, he stole, it's horrible. I will not sell my book. And she always said, the busier it is in the street, in the shopping street, the more shops open up on your topic, the more clients will run to that street. So if you mm-hmm. get more attention for a certain topic, it's better people will buy more because they become more interested and more accessible to the right. topic. And that that is yeah. kind of similar. Yeah, it's f- very true. Yeah. Uh, better a smaller piece of a bigger pie. But it, in what you're saying, you're also kind of presenting um, being being able to trust in the expertise that you have because you say, well, you know, we'll just reinvent or uh, we know more than they do on this, but they can do their part. So... I can imagine that in the beginning of setting up a company, that's that's more threatening. But now perhaps you've learned this is what we're really good at and it's not a big problem to reinvent and they can do that. Um, and the other is creative thinking because reinventing can be a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. Uh, and I think, well, the smaller you are, the easier. It's also the people you sort of get into the company, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, uh, small nimbleness, no difficult hierarchy or... Uh, reporting chains or whatever makes it quite easy to uh, to make these changes. 
and to to sort of everybody send out with quite a lot of send out. I mean, everybody in the company is doing a lot of external interaction. So we're not an internal focused company. We're external. So we're, we're spread thin. Uh, we have now how many have, people? Forty, uh, mm-hmm. more than just more than forty, just over forty. We're we're the biggest sustainable aviation fuel team in the world with that. But we're doing way more than a forty-person team in a corporate can do mm. because there's no internal activity. And which what, is which what, is a pitfall as well. What does that mean? Well, very limited amount of internal meetings, alignment meetings, uh, reporting to senior management. Uh, a lot of when I talk to 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 colleague or colleague uh, um, other people in the industry that are part of a, a bigger corporate organization, they spend a lot of time doing their internal sort of struggles. Yeah. Or reporting, reporting, yeah, yeah, or just sort of fighting for their piece of management attention or budget or whatever. That's we don't have that, and I think that has brought us to where we are today. But I also realize that when we want to grow further, we need more internal organization structure. So up until now, so how do you then construct a team? Do you construct because I can see if you have a very diverse team where everybody has their own unique expertise, and only they can do it, then you need less of the back reporting because they just do their thing. Is that how yeah. you constructed a team? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, I mean, we do a lot of things and, and uh, we have different business units, and they, but they are responsible for what they do themselves. Um, everybody in their teams usually get a lot of ownership. Mm. Um, and personally, what I do is I, I don't, in the, the people that I work with, and everybody has its sort of also in, internal at Sky Energy, everybody has its own management style. But, style, but what I do is, I just give people a lot of trust and ownership. Just go out. And if you need me, I'm there. If something goes horribly wrong in a project partnership, discussion, whatever, okay, I'll intervene and I'll try to solve what what went wrong instead of trying to make sure it always goes right. Mm-hmm. And with that, I mean, I've, I've seen that people grow faster. Yeah, uh, People are proud of what they do. I mean, and they can take full credits off uh, their, their uh, sort success. of uh, their success, yeah. Um, but they also know that, it, and that's a, that's sort of a balance you need to find with everybody. Um, that well, it, it's not a bad thing if something goes wrong, uh, but just be open and transparent. Don't try to blame someone else. Just say, okay, this went wrong, I messed up, let's solve it. And yeah. then other people in the company, like myself, we can step in yeah. and intervene. And there you can play either a good cop, bad cop, and say, well, yeah, she, she or he never should have done that. I'm yeah. going to solve it. Or, yeah. But it's easier to solve one of these things every so often than to try to control everything that we do. Or to get things going that haven't begun yet because people don't yeah. dare to take the first step yeah. because they so, might fail. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's simply not enough time at senior management to really understand what it is they're getting into or... And so opportunities get lost, right? Yeah. And I think that's sort of the, the that's the transition that as a company we're in right now, where we've grown exactly like that, doing everything everywhere, as long as it was aviation and sustainable aviation fuel. Um, but no region, no technology focus, no uh, any country, any platform, any any stakeholder. Um, and that's changing now. Yeah. Because some of the things we're doing get are getting bigger. There's more sort of there's more sort of interest from different partners that we have to manage. Um, there's sort of not just uh, just commercial, but also a political interest or uh, NGO interest. And um, 
we recognize that some of the mistakes that I sort of just alluded to say, well, being quite happy about that, make a mistake, perfectly fine. Well, sometimes they, they, they cost you reputation wise, but also, um, uh, monetary and, if you can avoid, great. But but so now you have to find this balance about, okay, we want to avoid those mistakes, but we yeah. don't want to sort of lose that sort of entrepreneurial sort of ownership type of mentality in the team. Yeah. Um, and, and that's basically, that's a struggle, right? That's, so probably we have to talk to each other in two years from now, see how you've been doing on that. Yes, I, I think, well, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I, and I think well, we, we are taking steps also sort of reasoning from sort of my own capabilities. I think the, 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 the company needs different type of leadership in the next five to 10 years. Hmm. No, com not completely new, but additional. Hmm, interesting, yeah. Like a new CEO or COO that, yeah. that knows sort of, that has an internal focus, that knows how to build an organization and a team and a, and a structure and a process. Because if you leave that to me, it's going to be sort of, I'm going to be all over the place. Yeah. And, 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 the and team, teams and companies need that. This might be actually interesting as a last topic because we have to uh, stop to stick to the time, but... Typically, I ask, what's your best tip for future-proof leaders or companies? But I, I've been struggling with this a little bit because a lot of the companies that you now see growing started from idealistic or very innovative kind of pioneer um, beginnings. So, you know, they were they just had a great idea or they see a sustainability problem and they start from there. Then they grow like a maniac and then they want to survive. So this might be one of the things like refresh the leadership of the team or by mm -hmm. adding people. So that would mean that every three years or so you kind of have a reassessment of where are we and what do we need now? Is that how I understand it? Yeah, well, maybe it's not per se cyclical, but just on sort of oh, where are you in your development if you're scaling rapidly? You need different people. Don't be afraid, at least I'm not afraid, to bring in senior uh, senior leadership that will probably make more money than I do and have yeah. more benefits than I do. And I mean... I, I, that has more control, that probably be sort of in, in, in the next years of growth, sort of, I take directions from them. Yeah. Uh, because, and I want to be put, put in my strength. I want to add value in a place that I know I can add value to the company, to the, to, to the partners. Yeah. And if that is not on the internal process piece, but that is what the company needs right now, yeah. we should focus on that, right? So, so yeah. I, I realize that you're, you lead a company in certain phases of its development and egos, for me, an ego is basically a limit to growth, yeah. right? Because you're you're binding your company in its capabilities by your sort of own shortcomings. That that's the boundary. Your shortcomings are the boundaries of your company, and if you give away part of sort of that ownership or control or accept the fact that you have to sort of step aside, step down, whatever, doesn't matter. It's better for what you're trying to do as a whole yeah. and trying to sort of achieve the things that you want to do on behalf of yourself, your vision, your partners. Um, and that should be sort of, that's in yourself, right? It's, yeah. and, and if you don't do it, I mean, you can see it coming. Then shareholders or supervisory board or partners or colleagues, they will intervene at some stage. Yeah. And, and then you're sort of in a, in, in a situation that it's an unhappy situation where now you take that decision yourself, do it from your own strength, and you have a chance to shape your position in that growth track in exactly the way you want. So I'm yeah. carving out a position for myself that I say, this is what I want to do in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. This is where I get energy. This is where I add value. Yeah, because that's another thing. If you're spreading yourself too thin, if you're constantly doing things that you're not really the greatest at, mm -hmm. then it's also really stressful. So maybe you make less money in five years than the CEO above you, 
but you might have a nicer kind of work life there, right? Yes, yes. So, so less control, less money, maybe less responsibilities, but but more energy, yeah. uh, better better sort of better fit with with the activities that you do. Yeah. I, I think for me that that's key. That's why I go to work. Yeah, I, I don't go to work to control everything. No. I go to work because I, I want to get energy and and it makes me happy. Yeah, and I think that's also sort of that's what we tell our team. Every new hire, we say, listen. The, the, the things that you do, one, it needs to make you happy. Second, it needs to add value to the company. If those two are there in the thing that we're doing now, okay, then we're a match. Yeah. But if one of these, I'm not going to push you into sort of a, a sort of a, 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 a task description and say, you need to do this. I don't care how you feel, right? But if you want to do a couple of things that are not relevant for us, well, you should do it somewhere else. Yeah. Right? So so yeah. that that makes it relatively sort of a, an, an easy entrance point for uh for for new colleagues and yeah with that we build up a team that that's in that respect quite it's really diverse it's really complementary and it, and it but it's quite well aligned in the way they work and yeah and what they want to achieve yeah well thank you thank you so much it was really nice and i think insightful for a lot of listeners certainly was for me so for all of you listeners thank you for listening to another episode of the unmachine yourself podcast if you found this story as inspiring as i did then do please share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going in that way because we need more future-proof leaders and organization. You also make us really happy with a good review in iTunes simply because that makes this podcast easier to find for listeners who don't yet know the On Machine Yourself podcast. Thank you very much for your support and until next time.